right, so we're going to be in Judges chapter 10. If you did not bring your Bible, then be sure to grab, uh, grab that Bible in front of you, and that will be on page 234 if you don't have a copy. Because So last week, Matt went through three chapters of Scripture, and I can't be outdone by Pastor Matt. So, so guess what we're going to do tonight? Three chapters of Scripture. Doesn't that sound exciting? Yeah, so we're, uh, we're not going to hit all of it. We're going to be bouncing around, so that's why it'll be helpful for you if you go ahead and grab, that, grab your Bible or grab that one in front of you. Um, I want you to think with me as we begin our discussion tonight, I want you to think about the topic of rejection and how powerful rejection is. And maybe you've experienced, I mean, the truth is, is we've all experienced rejection in some way, shape, or form in our lives. We all have, and it has profound impact on us. If we're honest, rejection has, it has a way to, to just rock us to the very core. And, and it's, a, it's a bitter pill to swallow. And, and in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the, the greater the rejection, the greater the potential to um, scar us sometimes even for life. And, and then if we're not careful, then what happens is, is it's the lens through which we, we see the world around us. And we see, the, we see through the lens of rejection. And there's things in us. We, we begin to expect uh, rejection. We begin to live in fear of rejection. There's all sorts of things that happen because of rejection that we experience. I was thinking, I was thinking about the GOAT in regards to basketball. And so I was thinking about Michael Jordan. And maybe you've heard the story uh, of Michael Jordan, who really is the greatest basketball player of all time. You don't have to know anything about basketball, just know he's the best, okay? And we can debate about that later if you want to debate, but uh, for the purpose of our discussion. Now think about it. The greatest basketball player of all time, in his sophomore year of high school, his coach cut him from the varsity team. Now stop and think about that. And the rejection that he must have felt in that moment, not being good enough, not measuring up, in this feeling of inadequacy, feeling of like, oh, hold on, they don't want me. They don't need me. They don't, I, don't have anything to, I don't have anything to offer. I don't possess the right skills or have the right traits or have the whatever it is. And, and so just think about what it must have been like for him in that moment. And we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more later. But the point is this, is that we, we experience that feeling too, if we're honest. We've been rejected, and there's, we've been rejected by people that, that should have wanted us, that should have cared enough to not reject us. And so maybe we've been rejected by people because of a, I don't know, social standing, or it's a family background, or, you know, your, your past isn't, you know, you're, maybe you're like the woman at the well. It's interesting, as I've been studying for this, I, I just... Think about our study through John chapter 4 on Sunday mornings and how they just correlate and go right in line with the conversation that we're going to have tonight. But we find this place where, where rejection is experienced by all of us and it's really just it's going to go through the conversation that we have as we look at, um, look at these passages of Scripture. And so if we're not careful when we experience rejection, what can happen is, is we can begin to say, hey, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit on the sidelines. And maybe we, we don't put ourselves in a position to be rejected again. And so if, if we don't put ourselves in a position to be rejected again, then we don't have to experience the pain that comes along with that rejection. Or we just allow the ones who are, you know, the, who are the, the spiritually elite or who are, do have the right kind of skill set or are from the, do have the right background or whatever the case may be. But if we're not careful, we'll stand on the sidelines and we won't put ourselves in a position to be used by God. And what we've seen over and over and over again in our study of Judges is that that's not the pattern that God uses. That God uses the most unlikely. Remember our study. We've studied for the last three weeks. We talked about Gideon. And so we see that, no, wait a minute. He does use the most unlikely. It's not about being the most gifted. But we're going to break that stereotype again tonight as we look at Jephthah. Uh, and let me just tell you, we're going to see there's, there were some wonderful victories in his life and there were some painful, painful stains and blotches in his story. And so um, 
We're just going to work our way through it. Okay, Judges chapter 10. We're going to, um, I want us to just kind of, we want to see where we are whenever Jephthah comes into the story. And so in Judges chapter 10 and verse 6, it says, the people, this is going to shock you, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals and Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. Verse 8, And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Okay, so Israel finds himself in a difficult place yet again. Whose fault is it that Israel is in this place? It's Israel. It's Israel's fault. But here's what I want to do. Before we we really launch into this discussion, we can't just point the finger at Israel and say, you guys, you can't get it together. What's wrong with you? And it's easy to look in Scripture and to think, okay, well, man, they just can't ever get it right. It's just this endless cycle of just failure over and over and over again. I want to just take a step back, and we need to have a conversation about the power of sin and what it does. So here's the sad reality. The sad reality is that many people don't realize the blinding power of sin. That sin really is blinding, and it is, power, it, it is powerful, and it is, it is enslaving. See, we don't recognize it for what it is. It's not, sin isn't just unfortunate, it is enslaving. It is enslaving. It will enslave us. It promises one thing. It doesn't say, hey, I'm going to enslave you. What it does is it promises freedom. Hey, go do this and you can experience freedom. But what it does at the very core is it enslaves us. And so we go in thinking it's promising one thing, but then it delivers something completely different. And maybe you know just the weight of that. You're here tonight and you're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, that's what happened with the people here. And so, I mean, think about this. Think about, uh, I thought about the prodigal son. And I talk about how he's like, hey, you know, so he goes to his dad and he's like, all right, hey, can I go ahead and have my inheritance? I know you're still around, but I really just want freedom. Essentially, he's like, I just want freedom. I'm going to just want to go experience the world and do things. And so he goes and he chases after this life of sin. And then he finds himself in a pit with pigs and he's feeding the pigs and he just wishes he could eat the food that the pigs are getting. And in that moment, what does he say? He says, The Bible says, but when he came to himself. In other words, there's this blinding power of sin. Whenever he he came out from under this, when he came to his when he came to his senses out from underneath the control of this blinding power. That's what we see over and over and over again. And so we have to realize that that sin, what it really is, is it's spiritual insanity. It's insanity. It's insanity. And so he comes back to reality because he's been out of touch with reality. Because he'd been lured away chasing something that promised one thing. And we have to see sin like this to properly understand the cycle of sin and what's going on in Judges. And so we understand, okay, well, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. So in verse 6, remember what he said. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And we goes through this whole, this whole list. This is the sixth time. So we've been working our way through Judges. And a lot of it's, it, there's a common thread. And it seems like a lot of times we're hearing the same thing over and over again. But this is the sixth time that the people turn their backs on the, the living true God. And, and they're worshiping other gods. And it goes through this list. And they've, just think with me. They've seen the hand of God do all these amazing things through Deborah, through Gideon, through all these these people and just God delivering them. And each time what ends up happening is they spiral lower and lower and lower into further and further darkness. And this is really, this this time in history is one of the bleakest spiritual times for, for the nation of Israel. And they've been turned over to the Philistines and to the Ammonites. I don't know if you picked up there in verse 8, it says that they were crushed and oppressed by the people, uh, by the people that year. And for 18, for 18 years, for 18 years. In verse 10, 
in verse 10, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. So evidently, 18 years is the limit. It's like, that's all we can take. We're not going any farther. And so, all right, 18 years is where we're at. And they're like, but here's what happens. The Lord's not impressed. Listen to God's response to the people after they cry out to him. And it tells us his response tells us a lot about the heart of the people and the, re- the way in which they're crying out. In verse 14, he says, go out. He says, go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. So he's like, okay, well, why don't you, why are you coming to me? You've seen to put so much trust and faith in these other gods. Why don't you go cry out to them and see if they can save you and see how good you come out of this on the other side? Why don't you go to them for help? And what's the reason? Why does he respond this way? Why, why does he act in this manner whenever the people, because the whole point, I mean, remember over and over and over again, he brings judgment on the people in order to bring them back to himself and bring reconciliation between him and them that they would, that they would love and serve the Lord. But there's a great difference between regret and repentance. There's a big difference between regret and repentance. Think, think about Judas. Think about, think about how Judas regretted what he had done. Agree? He was sorrowful. I mean, look at what Matthew 27 says. It says, that when Ju- then, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And they're like, well, hold on. And, and what, it, what ended up happening? So he felt bad about what had happened. He felt bad about the circumstances of the choices that he made. He felt bad about those things. But did it lead him back to the Lord or did it lead him to despair? Well, what did he do? He hung himself. And so it led him to despair. And so we see that it's more than just about repentance. It's just more than just about regret, that it's deeper than that. And so regret touches the emotions, but repentance touches the will. Regret touches the emotions, but repentance touches the will. So true repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of of will. It's a change of actions. So you can have sorrow without repentance. Because suffering consequences of sin is is painful. We don't like painful. We don't like those things. And so you can be sorrowful without repenting. You can have regrets you can regret, you can feel bad about getting caught. You can feel bad about the, the consequences that you're now having to experience. But there's a big difference because there's a change of mind. There's a change of will. There's a change of action. Things are going to, things are going to change. But here's the reason why. We need to understand this. The Lord's refusal to respond to their superficial words of regret drove the Israelites to examine their hearts more deeply. That's what it did. Now they had to stop. Well, why isn't God answering? Why is he answering the way in which he did? Well, hold on. There must be, we know that there's nothing wrong with God. So there must be something wrong with us. And it caused them to look inwardly and have to examine their own heart and what's going on in their, in their heart. So we pick up in verse 15 and, and 16. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Now here we are again. They're saying we've sinned against you. They said that already. But, but listen, there's a difference here this time. We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Okay, you know what, God? We, we actually, we deserve this. And you know what? Whatever it is that you choose to do, we, we receive it because we honestly deserve it. He said, but please deliver us this day. And then what did they do? They did something. They put away the foreign gods from among them. And serve the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery, the misery of Israel. And so what we, hear, we see is that, that this time their words are coupled with, with the appropriate action. That it's not just about, hey, I'm going to do different. See, see, we know this all the time. We've heard from people, or maybe this has been your story, and now it's like finally you're in a different place. But it's like you promise to do something, but nothing ever changes. You know what I'm saying? And then eventually you get, you get tired of You don't believe anything that anybody's saying. So now they're not just saying, hey, I'm going to change. They actually are changing. 
That we're going to put away these false gods. We're going, to, we're going to actually do something about this. It's going to be more than just words. I'm going to show you that I love you with my actions, not just with my words. And that's what God, that's what God is, is going for. And so when they turned to him in genuine repentance, he heard them. He was moved by the pain of his people and the suffering that they were experiencing, even though they deserved it. And they knew they deserved it, but he was moved by that. And the thing is, is God, God did not give up on sinful people. God does not give up on sinful, sinful people. That's, that's important for us to understand. He, he doesn't, and he didn't, and he persisted in his grace towards, towards the Israelites, and he persists in grace towards us. And so here's, I, I hope that you get this. When we, when we get through studying, because if you, just read, if you just read Judges at face value, man, you just think God is an angry, mean God, and he's just got a chip on his shoulder. If you just scan across it, it you can come to that conclusion. It's not the right conclusion, but I hope when we get done with this study in Judges that this is your conclusion. That you walk away from this study with a better understanding that God is a God of great love and infinite mercy. On the surface, it seems like he's being stern. It seems like he's being harsh. It seems like he's an unforgiving God who delights in just judging people and raining down the wrath of God. It, it can come across that way. But remember, there's a reason why he does what he does. It's not to punish or to, to bring pain, but to bring back to to him. And so what we've seen over and over and over again is that God is a God of all grace. That, that the people deserved this and yet he was brokenhearted over the, the suffering that, that they were experiencing. And I know that was a long intro, but it's necessary. And now we're going to, now let's just kind of, let's, let's move in and, and meet Jephthah in honestly kind of a unique way. All right, so let's read... Uh, Let's read verse 17, and that'll help us, 17 18 of chapter 10, that'll help us kind of understand what's going on. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead, and the people of Israel came together, and they encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will be, begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants. So here's what happens. The people... The leaders get together and they discuss, okay, well, what are we going to do? How do we get ourselves out of this mess? We know we're in a mess and we, we're suffering these circumstances, but we got to come up with a plan. Who's going to lead us out of this mess that we got ourselves into? And there's this, this cry of desperation. That, and, and here's the thing we have to understand, that their survival depended on it. That they were literally in a desperate situation. But here's the question I have. What should they sat around in a circle and devised a plan where they said, hey, whoever's going to deliver us, we're going to make them uh, head over everything. Is that a good idea? I mean, just a blind, okay, whoever it is, whoever <laughs> leads the way, we're just going to give them full reins. They're going to have, they're going to have full leadership. They're going to have full access. They're going to be able to do whatever they want. Or, or should they have dropped to their knees and sought the Lord and asked Him who it was to lead them out of the situation that they had gotten themselves into? I mean, is, is which one is the, to devise your own plan? And oftentimes the truth is, is that's what we do. Our first step, our first thought, our first instinct is, let's come up with our own plan to get ourselves out of this mess. Whether it's a mess that we've created or just the circumstances of life. But what we want to do is we want to just figure out a way and make a plan to get ourselves out of this mess. Does it make sense? Doesn't matter. I just want to get out. And what we need to do is we need to drop to our knees and humble ourselves before God and ask God to help us. To, to help have God to meet us where we are and to, to lead us in the way in which he would have us to go and so desperation should always lead us lead us to humble ourselves before God that we turn to him that he's not our last resort but he's the first place that we run to in our time of need they were in a desperate situation they were in a desperate situation 
we can see where they were relying based on what they did. And what we want to do is we want to rely upon the Lord. All right, so we're gonna, when we pick up in chapter 11, let me let you in, in on what's going on. We're going to look back. We're going to kind of flash back to what happened to Jephthah. So this has already happened. So think about it. They're like, who's going to lead us out? We're going to make them head overall. Well, we're thinking back. This is, this is not current place as to the story. This is something that happened before. So we get a good understanding of what happened to Jephthah and what landed him where he is. Okay? So now, chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father, father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. Did, you, did y'all pick up that? So he's probably least likely, okay? So he's the son of a prostitute. And, uh, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. So Gilead, his dad was married and had his own family. So, um, and when... When his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out of the, out and said to him, You shall not have in an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. And there's a lot going on right here. So let's, let's just kind of unpack this for a minute. So, would you, can we be safe in assuming that Jephthah had a, um, he had a rough past? He had a difficult run. He, do you think, could we say that Jephthah has experienced rejection on the highest level? Can, can we assume that from the, from the passage of Scripture? That his, his life had been greatly impacted by rejection. And who he was and who he had become had a lot to do with the rejection that he had experienced. Agreed? And so that had a lot to do with it. And so just thinking about his paths, and I'm not talking about just his downfalls and his weaknesses, but also his strengths too. That a lot of that played into who he was and, and the rejection that he experienced. And who we meet here in Jephthah is very different from who we meet in Gideon. Remember when we met Gideon, he's... He's, he's kind of hiding away in a wine press. You remember that? And, and he doesn't feel like a mighty man of valor, but Jephthah, he's legit a mighty man of valor. He is. And a lot of his past had to do with, with why he was who he was. And, and so I, I just think about just the differences between those two polarizing people, just as we've looked over the last several weeks, is just how different they are. And the fact that God doesn't, you know, he doesn't spit us out of an assembly line where we're all the same and, and we have to have all the same story. I was thinking today as I was preparing, I was, I was imagining looking out at your faces and I was thinking about just the, the diversity in this room. Just the, the diversity in backgrounds, the, the diversity in ethnicity, the, the diversity in uh, just your stories and the places that you're from, and, and, and the places that you're from, from all around the country and all around the world, and just all the different ways that we're, that we're different. Personality differences, age differences, skill sets. Like there's so many different skill sets in this room right now. So many wonderful skill sets. And like God has given you those skill sets, but, but different in so many different ways. And that's good. That's the way God intended it to be. But what we've got to understand, look, there's, there's some awesome skill sets. There's some awesome people in this room. There's some awesome personalities in this room. But understand this, that the key to the growth of the church is the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God. So God takes the vessel and does what he, and so he takes men like Gideon and he takes men like Jephthah. And he takes, his, takes people from everywhere in between those two things. He's a creative God, and he's creatively working his plan to accomplish his purposes in this life. And it's God who's doing those things, and we simply bring what he's given us, and we steward the things that he's given us to work alongside him, participate with him in that plan. That's what we're called to, that's what we're called to do. And so Jephthah, he really doesn't fit the mold. But God, and you're going to see as we go through, like, but God chose to 
to do great work in and through this, in and through this man. So this passage depicts um, some things that I think are going to be really helpful for us tonight. Um, we're going to look at some life-changing stages of, of his life specifically uh, that will help us as we're looking at his development, but also how God, how God wants to use these things in our lives and how God is developing us and the way in which this works. It's not just for him, how it works for, for all of us because I think we can learn some, learn some things. So let's go back to the rejection of Jephthah. We're starting with a man that nobody wanted. We're starting with a man that nobody wanted. So first we look at the family background. He's the illegitimate child of a prostitute. Okay? And so that's important for us to understand. And his dad's a married man. So he's married to another woman and he's the illegitimate child of a prostitute. And so he's an outsider. He's on the outside. See how this kind of ties into what we're talking about on Sunday mornings? He's an outsider. He's an outsider among outsiders. And then his father evidently dies. And so the brothers are like, you weren't ever part of this family anyway. So you need to go on down the road because you're not taking part of our inheritance. You're an illegitimate child of a prostitute. You have no place here. And so they run him out of, run him out of there. They run him out of there. And they, they chase him to a place that is full of drifters and outsiders. And he's forced to make a life in this world on his own and so he had to leave everything that he's known ever known and everything that he's everybody he's ever loved and so now he's he's all alone except for God and the thing is is we hadn't even heard anything about God yet but the truth is is God has been at work all along the way even when Jephthah can't see it even when it doesn't feel like it God is working God is working And so he's working to rescue him from his hopeless past. And we need to understand that we're not prisoners to our past, no matter how difficult or dysfunctional. God delights in using the unusable. He delights in taking the ugly and making it beautiful. He delights in taking our ugly past and doing something remarkable with it. And we're not prisoners of our past rejection, no matter how great that pain was. That's not our story. That's not our story. All right, so we looked at the man that nobody wanted. Let's take a look at the bandit chief. The bandit chief. Okay, look at verse 3 again. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. We were having a conversation yesterday. We were meeting with pastors, and, and uh, Tony made the comment. He said, whenever there's a verse that sticks out that just doesn't make sense, this like, what is going on here? That's usually, there's usually a lot going on. That's the, the, the magic place where God wants to teach us something. And so you read that, and you're like, well, hold on. Like, he's, he's with worse, worthless fellows. They collected around him, and he went out with them. What does this mean? What is God trying to teach us? What is he trying to, to tell us here? And it's a fascinating verse because he goes to a place, um, and this is really a place where, where you've you got to realize that the Israelites and their enemies, they lived in constant conflict. And so what you're going to find here with Jephthah is he's almost like a Hebrew Robin Hood. He's the Hebrew Robin Hood of that day. And so he's, he's helping people. He's helping protect people who were in conflict helping protect the Israelites who are in conflict with their enemies. And he's doing it with a group of misfits. He's doing it with a group of renegades. And they're almost like this secret police force that are going out and taking care of people. Now, at a profit, you know, he's, that's how he's making a, a living. But they're this unofficial p- police force. And they're working in ways to protect the people. And so war and battle and conflict is something that he does every single day. But here's what we have to understand. This period in the wilderness, it must have been enormously defining for him. Why why is this important? Because here's this place, and and it appears that it's just, he's, he's left where he should be because it's not fair, right? He didn't do anything. He didn't ask to be, he didn't ask to be the illegitimate child of a of a prostitute. He didn't, he didn't ask to be chased out of town. He didn't ask to, he, did, he didn't deserve rejection or desire rejection or, 
He, none of those things. So, so what's going on? I mean, he, he, could just, he could just curl up in a fetal position and just exist for the rest of his life. But he's not. He's doing something. See, we dismiss the mundane. We often dismiss the mundane. And the reality is that it's in the mundane that, that God is working to produce something in us. He's at work to produce something in us in the things that we like to think of as mundane. Let, let's think about Michael Jordan again. So his sophomore year, he gets, he gets cut from the varsity basketball team. Now, clearly, basketball is life for Jordan. And so like he, he's, he's distraught. He's tore up. He's trying to figure out. Listen to what his, this is a quote from his mom. She said, we both cried because I knew he wanted to really compete with the other guys. My words to him, now this is a legitimate quote. My words to him was, if you really want it, you work hard over the summer. And he did that summer. He would practice all day. The basketball never left his hand. See, Jordan found himself in the mundane. He found himself in, the, in this, this in-between place. That he, this is this thing that he longed for, he hoped for, he was striving for. This is what, but he was experienced rejection, and now he found himself in this place. And so he can do one of two things. He can either make this, this place that he finds himself now meaningful. He can do something with this in-between place. He can, he can pursue something. And the truth is, is that... That moment, that sophomore year was key to the development, to his development as a basketball player. I believe that that in-between place, that, that place where he felt like he was in the wilderness, had a lot to do with helping him propel him and, and move to be the greatest of all time. But he had a choice to make. God never wastes anything in the lives of his children. He never wastes anything in the lives of his children. But oftentimes we dismiss our current situation because we're trying to get to where we think we ought to be. When God is wanting to work right where we are, right where we are, wherever, whatever season you find yourself in, whatever current circumstances you find yourself in, God wants to work right where we are. And we're looking ahead to something else and God is saying, no, hold on. I want to do a work today that's not only going to affect you and the people around you today, but it's also going to affect your trajectory in things months and days, days and months and weeks and years and decades down the road. And Jephthah was learning in this time. He was learning military warfare. He was learning a strategy, military strategy, that God was going to later use for his glory. He was doing those things. Jephthah thought he was just making a living. But his faithfulness in that moment was producing something. It's the, it's the story of Joseph. Think about the story of Joseph. Joseph gets thrown in a pit and then ultimately sold into to slavery. He finds himself at Potiphar's house. And he rises to the chief servant in Potiphar's house. Then he's falsely accused and he gets thrown in jail. And God shows favor in jail. And he rises to a position of leadership. And then ultimately... He's freed and he becomes second in charge. Well, what was God doing? He was working every step along the way. And he was producing something. And it's the same thing. In God's hands, even the broken fragments have purpose and meaning. We have to understand that. And another thing that Jephthah learned in this season, the mundane season of in-between, he learned leadership. He took a group of worthless men and he turned them into an effective force. That's what he did. He took a group of, of worth. Now, I'm not saying they're worthless. It says it right there in verse 3. They were worthless fellows. And he made them into an effective force. So that tells you something about his, his leadership. That tells you something about, about who he is. And he learned practical skills along the way. That would, he would draw from whenever God expanded his role. See, when we're faithful in the little things, you know what God does? You, you know what God does? See, we're waiting for the great big thing. We want to do this great big thing for God. And God's just saying, just do the, the next right thing. Just do this, this small thing. And 
I'll expand your role and your influence when it's time, but it's not time. It's not time. And so just do what I've called you to do. Do the next right thing, the thing that's right in front of you, right here in the position in the place that I have you, you planted. Do it there. Don't wait for something down the road. And his accomplishments were evidently impressive. You know how we know that? Because the people are like, hey, we're going to find a guy who can get us out of this situation. Well, then they're like, well, wait a minute. What about Jephthah? Oh, the guy that we chased out of here. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe we should go have a conversation with him. Well, why are they going to have a conversation with him? Because clearly he had a reputation. He was doing some things. He was... He was rallying them. When we're, when we're following and doing the things that God's calling us to do, then, then people are going to come knocking. Right? And God's the one who, who opens, those, opens those doors. And so those practical skills that he learned, he's just he's going to draw from those. All right, verse 4. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And we're just kind of picking back up. Remember, we flashed back, now we're picking back up. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we might fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of the Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head of and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Okay, so we, we haven't even, uh, if, if you think about this, we haven't, we, haven't, uh, we haven't considered this whole idea of, well, let me say this. Jephthah, the reason why he's being considered is because of what he's done, okay? He's not, he didn't apply for the job. He didn't go, he never... It wasn't his goal or his desire. He wasn't aspiring to to be this or to do this. It was God who opened the door. And our responsibility as Christ followers is to be fully involved and invested in the place that we currently find ourselves. Because he didn't go looking. But because he was fully involved and invested where God had him, now these these doors are opening for greater influence, Right? For greater impact. And so when we're doing the will of God in, in the place that we find ourselves, we're learning lessons that He wants to teach us wherever, wherever God puts us. It's God's job to open doors of opportunity. But here's what I know is true an, ava- an available, open heart will always lead to growth. And that's what we want. We want to just simply submit ourselves before God with an open, available heart, saying, Lord, I I want you to do great things in my life, and I I want you to do great things through my life, right here in this current situation that I find myself in. And and I keep repeating that, but I believe there's somebody in the room, there's people in the room, it's like, man, I I just want to get out of this situation, and God's wanting to do a great work in and through you in this situation. And so embrace what God, I can remember there was a time in my life where I was, it was one of the most difficult times in my life. It was a very difficult situation and circumstance. And I can remember, I just wanted it to end. And then I was just spending time with God and spending time in the word. And I can remember coming to a place and being like, okay, God, I don't want you to, don't, don't remove this thing until you're done doing in me what you want to do. And that's where we've got to be. We've got to, we got to have that approach when it comes to, comes to this. So uh, if we're to continue reading in, in chapter 11, I'm, gonna, I'm going to summarize this interaction. So um, there's this interaction now between Jephthah and the king of the Ammonites. And um, in verse 12 it says, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites who said, What do you have against me that you have 
come to fight against my land. And so he, so they make him head. And so what does what does he do? He 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 hits the ground running. He seized the moment. Jephthah had been given a responsibility, and he seized it with both hands. He dug in. He's like, okay, I've been given this responsibility. I'm going to do something with that that's been entrusted to me. And I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to read through all the, the details of this, um, but understand this. Here's basically what's going on. He's like, what, why, what's your problem with, with us? Why, why are you doing all this? And so there's this, they go back and forth. And, uh, and so he's like, well, you're in our land. The king of the Ammonites is like, you're in our, you're in our land. And so then... And then Jephthah gives him this long history lesson and basically saying, no, your history is wrong. We, we got this land from the Amorites, not the Ammonites. Maybe you're not good at spelling, so maybe you got the N and the R wrong, Kingo. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, he's like, no, this isn't. We, we were just in the wilderness, and we were just trying to pass through particular places in, in, of land, and we were just trying to get permission to do those things, and then everybody just kept wanting to pick a fight with us and ended up picking a fight with the wrong person because you picked a fight with God, and the Amorites ended up losing their land, and that's how we got this land. So this wasn't your land in the first place. And so he gives him this, this history lesson. Then he says, not only that, your theology is wrong. See, the Lord gave us this land. This was a gift from God. And so why would I give you a gift that God gave to me? This is us. This is ours. This is what's going on. And not only that, but your logic is wrong. It's been 300 years. Isn't there like a statute of limitations? You know, he's like, why are we having this conversation now? It's literally been 300 years. Do you think maybe... You know, five years, ten years, twenty years, a hundred years. Like, what, what now has led to this, this conversation? So, chapter 11, verse 29. That's just, that's Brian's summarization of what we just skipped over. All right, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites and to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Aor to the neighborhood of Meneth, Twenty cities, and as far as Abel Karamim, with a great blow, and the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. And so, it's not until this point where we now we get this vertical dimension of the conversation. It's really just kind of been horizontal. We see all these things, just relationships and rejection, and all the ways that this is and. and this whole Robin Hood idea, and like we see all these things horizontally and how they've affected him, but now we see, then the Spirit of the Lord, in verse 29, then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead, and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And so he, now he's, we see that, that there's this vertical dimension of things. And so the Ammonite king, he's like, no, we're not prepared to just let you keep your land. We're going to do this. And so he's like, okay, well then let's do this. Let's do it, because he's not prepared to listen to the truth. And so they're going to they're gonna go to war. But the Spirit of God was on him. So think about it to what, what we talked about earlier, that with all his skill, and he had skill, but we, even with all his skill, God was the one who brought the victory. However, to be led by the Spirit is always to be led into activity. That is so important. It is so important. So for, for, for you tonight, it's like, okay, well, God's calling me to, to live for him in my current situation. He's calling me not to just sit on the sidelines. You can't, if, if think about where we started this conversation. So many people have experienced rejection. And so what they do is they don't do anything in order to protect them from the pain of experiencing more rejection. And so oftentimes we, we don't do anything because 
we're afraid of being rejected or we're angry or we're hurt or we're you just fill in the blank and so like I don't want to have to experience that again and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to protect myself and so I'm going to keep everybody at a distance I'm not going to step out and do anything where people are going to see me because if they see me then they may reject me and so there's this inactivity that takes place because of this experience with rejection but that's not what we see we see activity See, the Spirit's leading leads to activity in the believer's life. Like, there's activity. That's the way it works. He didn't just sit down and passively observe God accomplish this great feat. He got involved. He took responsibility for what God had called him to do. He didn't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. He didn't send other people out to do it. He got involved because there's activity when we're called to do something. We're called to step out Inactivity, not just passively, passively observe. That's not, a, that's not how, this, how this works. So I don't want to end on a, on a downer here, but we're going to kind of end on a downer. Okay, so I don't know if you picked up on the vow that he made. Now, the vow was completely and totally unnecessary. There was no point. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. God's going to do this work because God's the one who delivers. And then, you know, I, I think this is probably part of the weakness that comes into play here when it comes to Jephthah. See, because he experienced life the way he did, because he did get thrown out into the world on his own, he had to learn some survival skills along the way. And what you've noticed is, as we've read through this narrative, is that uh, he really tries to manipulate the situation a lot of times. He tries to negotiate himself in, in a lot of the situations that he, that he finds himself in. So we've seen that, that kind of occur over and over just in the narrative that we've read. And so now we get to this place where God's the one who's going to do this work, that it's God's work to do, and now he's, he's trying to negotiate with God. And I, I just want to let you know it doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. And so what does he do? What is this, what is this vow about? He says... In verse 31, well, we'll start in verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. What is he saying here? What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to go off to war. If you'll give the Ammonites into my hand, then when I come home after winning this battle then whoever or whatever comes out of the door of my house first, then I will offer up as a burnt offering. That's kind of shocking. Like, what are we doing here? What, what just happened? Because that's... This isn't on your handout, but you may want to write it down. Spiritual ignorance can be extremely dangerous and have tragic consequences. He's just ignorant. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing here. And he's just treaded off into dangerous territory. And because of that, there are going to be tragic consequences. And there's no... There's no need. There's no need. And so what happens? Verse, verse 34. Verse 34 of chapter 11. Then Jephthah came to his home in Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. So now he's like, he's blaming her for coming out the house, which would have been normal in this time. As, as, she's, as he's coming home, like there's, there's great celebration that her dad had returned, that victory had come, that he had, he's still alive. And so she comes running out. I want to I want to clarify some things before we wrap this thing up. Uh, this clear this this vow is clearly not God's will. 
How do we know that it's not God's will? Well, look at what Jeremiah 7.31. This is, uh, there's three verses on your handout that will help us get good understanding. And they have built in uh, 7.31, they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Jeremiah 19.5. And have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fires, burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Jeremiah 32.35. They built the high places of Baal. Notice this, this whole idea comes from just the influence of false gods and false religions in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind that they should do this. It's what is God, how does God see this? As an abomination to cause Judah to sin. So the fact that, the fact, and, and here's the thing. So, um, in, in verse 39, if you read verse 39, now she goes off because she was, she was a virgin. And so, you know, to, to you know, end your, and, then we, and here's the thing. There's a couple different, um, you know, if you read the commentaries, there's a couple different ideas as to what takes place here. To me, it sounds as if he followed through. You know, there's the idea that maybe he offered her to the Lord to serve in the temple all the days of her life. But listen to what verse 39 says. He, he ripped his clothes and he wailed. Why, why? In verse 39, and at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in that year. Now, Again, I said I didn't want to end on a, on a down note. This was a, this was a foolish vow. The, this clearly was not God's will. And the fact that he followed through does not declare God's approval in this. This is just an explanation as to, to what happened. And, and so we see this and you're like, how could, how could he get some things so right and then get some things so wrong? Here's, here's what happened. And here's the reason for that. And this why... It's, this truth and this reality is so important because there's enormous evils that have resulted because men and women have not understood the character and the will of God as he has revealed in Scripture. And so he was influenced by false gods, by false religions. And it was, it was impacted. And so instead of looking to, to Scripture as God has revealed his character and his will according to Scripture, that's why it's so important that we continually go back to the scriptures and let God tell us who he is. Let God tell us his character and his nature. Let God tell us what his, his will is, what he wants for us to do, and how we're to, how we're to live our lives, and how we're to, who he is, and all those things. We've got to continually go back. And look, there's been so many occurrences over history where people steer and veer away from the scriptures, from the Bible, from the word of God. And that's when we get ourselves in trouble. And things that have been done in the name of God, but don't have anything to do with the nature or the will of God. And, and it's happened, it's, it, throughout history, it's happened over and over and over. And there's people even today that will take these stances and, and have these protests and, and say these hateful things and treat people unbiblically and do it all in the name of God and do it all in the name of God and so you know I was thinking this is just a small scale example but I was thinking about how I took uh I took some students to a Christian conference this has been years ago but I took some students to a Christian conference and there was a group of people there outside the conference all in the name of God but they're spouting out hate and they're spouting out lies and uh, there was a point, now I'm not a very confrontational person, but there came a point, I, I do have a limit. 18 years is my limit, right? I'm like the Israelites, 18 years and then, no. But like I, I hit a moment, I'm like, okay, I can't stand it. So I go up and I try having a conversation with this guy. He's got a microphone attached to his face and he doesn't want to have a conversation. He doesn't care about me. He just wants to spit lies. And I got so furious. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be furious anymore. So we walked out of one of the sessions and I'm walking down the street with a group of students and he's one this is a different guy and he's spouting out lies and i uh 
And I just started laughing because I'm not going to get mad anymore. I'm done being mad. I'm just going to laugh. And so I start laughing. And he, he says, he calls me out in the crowd. There's thousands of people walking by. He calls me out. He says, keep laughing. You won't be laughing when you're in hell. And I'm like, bro. Like, what is going on right now? But he felt justified. All in the night. He, how did he? He didn't know. I mean, I'm a child of God. Okay, I, I know where my salvation stands. I know that I'm secure. And, and yet, this is what, but he was convinced. And, and I believe this. I believe that he was sincere. And he was very zealous. But he was ignorant. He was ignorant. And so we don't want to follow in those footsteps. Well, how do we not find ourselves in that situation? We, we've got to continually be going back to, to the source of truth. That, that's why we continually just preach and teach the word of God in this place and just pray that God will continue to re reveal himself to us through his through his word and so if we're not careful then we'll find ourselves in the same situation so we can't we can't ever steer away from the word of God see Jephthah just like that guy on the street he was totally sincere but at the same time he was totally wrong he was totally wrong Jephthah was sincere and he was zealous. He was zealous. He had zeal for God, but zeal without truth is dangerous. It's dangerous. And so we got to make sure that, we, that we're going to the, to the truth. And we can only think properly about God when we think biblically about God. That's the only way that we can think properly about God, when we think biblically. So we must give our lives to growing in the knowledge and the understanding of the Lord through the revealed scriptures that he's given to us. That's, that's what we have to give our lives to. And then, remember, to be led by the Spirit is to be led into action. Right? That, that as God reveals himself to us, as he reveals his his will, then we're to called to, to step out in obedience and to, to walk in obedience to the things that he reveals to us. And I will say this, and so, you know, spiritual ignorance is dangerous, but let me, let me end with this thought too. Having knowledge and understanding of the truth and doing nothing with it is just as dangerous. And so as you continue to sit in here week in and week out, and you get to, to hear the word of God proclaimed. And you come face to face with the truths that are found in scripture. Guess what? You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. And you're going to be held accountable to what you do with what you... You're held accountable to what you do without... But you, you are held accountable to what you do with, with what you've been shown and what you know. And so let's just be a people who... Hey, let's just... We don't have to worry about what next week holds or what next month holds or, or what next year holds or what big thing God has down the pipe. Let's just do the next right thing. In our current situation, our current circumstances, let's just, let's just do the next right thing. Let's just do the thing that God's shown us to do. And let's just walk in obedience. And it may feel like we're in a season of mundane where you know it's meaningless and it doesn't have purpose. But it's in those seasons and those places that God is at work and he's producing something in us and he's working through us and he's preparing us for something down the road as well. But let's not look down the road. Let's just look right in front of us. Pastor Tony said here recently, it's a, it's a lamp unto our feet. It's just a lamp. And so let's just take the step that's right in front of us. Let's just take that step. Let me pray. God, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for the example of we find in, in Judges here in the life of Jephthah, the, the good examples, the, the bad example. Um, Lord, for all the things that you've shown us tonight. And we just pray that, God, you help us. Help us to um, just walk in obedience in light of what you've shown us. Help us to submit and surrender to your, to your word. Help us to give our lives to, God, to knowing you more, to God, to, to growing in our understanding of your character, in your nature. God, that we would never 
never seek to do anything that's outside of, of who you are and your will for us. And so, Lord, that comes by, by knowing you and pursuing you and growing in you. And so I pray that we give our lives to that. We give our lives to you to continually grow. We will, we will never arrive until we breathe our last breath. And I pray that we never stop seeking to grow. To be the people you called us to be. God, I, I thank you for the diversity in this room. For the, the diversity of personalities and the diversity of skill sets and the diversity and just all the different ways that we're different. God, but you called us to, to the same thing. For your glory. That's what we're called to. To live our lives for your glory. And God, we're, we're able to do the things you call us to do because of you. And only because of you. And so we just want to offer up all of who we are. Rejection and all. And say, here we are. We're available. Take us. Use us. Do great things in and through us. Glorify yourself through these humble lives that you've given us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.